Well, hey, good morning, everyone. My name is Ben. I'm the campus pastor here. I'm glad that, uh, that you're here this morning. I want to ask a question of you. How many of you here this morning would be really honest and admit that in some area of life right now, you're feeling overwhelmed? Anybody feeling that way right now? A lot of us. I figured there'd be a few. Uh, if not this morning, I would guess that at some point in your life, you know what it, what it feels like to be overwhelmed. Maybe something at work or something at home, perhaps a, a struggle with a family member, or maybe it's your health, or maybe you're feeling really overwhelmed about what trick play the Colts are going to try this afternoon. Maybe, maybe that's what's got you feeling overwhelmed. But I bet for several of us here this morning, this overwhelmed feeling can have something to do with relationships. Managing relationships can be really overwhelming, can't it? And things like Facebook and Instagram, they haven't really made this any better. In fact, one of the first things I bet you do and, uh, and that I used to do when I was on Facebook was to look at how many friends someone has. Like that's some kind of a status symbol. How many friends do they have or how many followers do they have on Twitter? We look at that kind of thing, don't we? And there's a feeling that you have to stay up on all of the details of everyone's lives. And there are so many friends you want to keep up with and so many relationships to juggle. And it can all become very overwhelming. And then you come to church and you hear us saying, hey, get to know your neighbors, join a group, get on a team, invest in your kids, invest in your marriage, bring all these relationships to the next level. And maybe that's the one thing that you feel like is just going to push you over the edge. And now the nice men are going to come in their clean white suits and they're going to take you away to your new home, a home with padded walls and no sharp objects, right? You ever feel that way? That overwhelmed feeling that can come from juggling relationships. Well, here's the thing. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it's really important to be in relationships. I mean, it's going to be really hard to fulfill the greatest commandment to love God and to love people if we don't know any people. We've got to be in relationships. So if you're not feeling or if you haven't felt the relationship tension, maybe the wake-up call for you this morning is, hey, I need to begin pursuing some relationships. But what I hope you'll see as we look at the life of Jesus today is that he was very intentional about the relationships that he chose. In fact, his goal wasn't to make disciples of everyone. Let that sink in for a minute. Jesus' goal was not to make disciples of everyone. His goal was to make disciples of a few who would then carry on the disciple-making movement that now has, has continued for over 2,000 years because Jesus realized in his humanity that his time and his resources were very limited. And so he had to be strategic. And he had to be wise when it came to relationships. If you've been with us the last several weeks, you know that we've been talking about the humanity of Jesus. Scripture tells us that Jesus was both fully God and also fully man. We've been wrestling with, with how that played out. And if you've, mess, uh, if you've missed any of the, the previous messages in this series, I want to invite you to go to our webpage, genesischurch.me, and, and listen to those previous messages on our podcast. Get caught up. But over the course of this series, we've been focused on 1 John 2.6. It says, anyone who claims to be in him must walk as Jesus did. That's what we're after here. We want to walk as Jesus walked. And if we're going to do that, we have to make his priorities our priorities. So we've been looking at the priorities of Jesus. Priorities like listening to the Holy Spirit. Things like prayer, obedience to the Father, uh, the Word of God, the Bible, 
And last weekend we talked about uh, exalting the Father, and we looked at the life of of John the Baptist and and that theme of John's life that was he must increase and, and I must decrease. And what does that mean for our lives, to live humbly, always pointing toward the Father? And this morning, what what we want to focus on is the relationships that Jesus built in his life, intentional, strategic relationships. It's a priority that we see Jesus emphasizing very early on in his ministry. In fact, I want to invite you to turn to John chapter 1. That's where we're going to start this morning, John chapter 1. And as you're going there, uh, let me set this up for you just a little bit. By the time we get to this passage uh, in John chapter 1, Jesus has already been baptized by John the Baptist. He's gone into the wilderness for 40 days where he fasted and he was tempted by the devil. And now he's back. And when his cousin, John the Baptist, sees him coming, watch what happens. Starting in verse, verse 35 of John chapter 1, it says this. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following, and he asked, What do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. And we talked last weekend about how uh, John the Baptist's life mission was to, to point people to the Messiah, to point people toward Jesus. He was the Elijah who was to come. He was the voice in the wilderness uh, saying, prepare the way for the Lord. And we focused on those words, he must increase, I must decrease. So when Jesus comes walking by and John sees him, what does he say? He says, look, it's the Lamb of God. There he is. Jesus is the one. I'm not the Messiah, but this is the one. And a few of John's disciples ask him, ask Jesus, you know, where are you staying? And Jesus gives them this very important invitation. He says, come and see. And this is so important. Jesus doesn't just answer this question like, oh, I'm staying at so-and-so's house, you know, and then he walks away. No, he, he invites them to come and see, he invites them into his life. And what happens from here is a series of come and see moments where Jesus goes about his life And these initial followers, they come along, and they see Jesus do things like turn water into wine, and they see how Jesus interacts with the Samaritan people, and they see not only where Jesus lives, but they see how he lives. And I think you and I have so much to learn from this. Even if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, I want you to know you can learn a lot about relationships and a lot about what it means to be in good, healthy relationships from looking at how Jesus interacted with people. Because when we get those guilty feelings about not spending time with people, what we're often thinking is, well, I'm going to have to interrupt what I'm doing, what I have to do to, to, to make plans, to plan a lunch or to make time for coffee. I've got to plan my whole day around that now, which means I can't do what I need to do, so I have to find other time to do those things, and it can become overwhelming. Now, I need to admit before I, I, I go on to point out what Jesus does, I, I've really taken advantage of my wife in this area. So, honey, I'm sorry about that. I admit that. But when it comes to, to planning time with people or having friends over, I've told Beth Ann, just tell me where to be and when. Because <laughs> I don't want to be, you know, uh, in that process. I guess I, I'm selfish in that way. So I'm sorry. But please keep doing that because I don't want to <laughs> have to manage all of that. But look at what Jesus did. His strategy for relationships is so simple, and and it's really brilliant. Jesus lived his life, and he brought people along. 
Jesus kept doing what he was doing, but he invited others to do it with him. And that's relationship principle number one for us this morning. If you're taking notes, live your life and bring people along. What does that look like for us today? Well, think about the things that you have to do that you know that others have to do as well. At a a previous ministry, there was a a group of ladies who would get together and they would cook meals together for their families. They'd cook for the whole month and then they'd stick all these meals in the freezer. And and they could have done it on their own at their own homes, but, but they saw it as an opportunity to build friendships and to build relationships with one another. And so they came together and they helped each other. And, and what an op- awesome opportunity to, to build into some younger women and, and some new moms, or maybe even to use it as a disciple-making opportunity. You know, we've been talking a lot about that command uh, to make disciples found in Matthew 28, 19. It says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And it's easy to read that And to think that the command is to go, right? That's the first command that we read there. Therefore, go. And in just about every English translation of Scripture, that's how it's presented. But a better way to understand the original Greek in this passage would be as you go. The word word means to continue on a journey that you're already on. Not, Not to begin a new journey, but as you continue going, make disciples of all nations. As you go, make disciples. Wherever you go, there are people who need to know Jesus. Integrate this into your life. And that's the model that Jesus gave us. Now, that's not to say that at some point in your life, the Lord might say, go. It's just to say that the command that we see here isn't pack up everything you have and move to China. The Lord might ask you to do that someday, but that's not what this is saying. What this says is, as you go, as you live your life, as you do the things you're already doing, make disciples. That's what Jesus did. In fact, that leads us to another relationship principle that I want you to see from the life of Jesus, and it's found in Luke chapter 5. Let's turn there together, and, and as you're turning there, let me point something out. If you were to just randomly open to the book of Luke, and, and you landed at Luke chapter 5, you would, would possibly believe that this is Jesus' first encounter with Peter, James, and John. It's the first time they're mentioned in the book of Luke, but in reality, they've known Jesus for about an, a year and a half. Okay, this, What we're about to read in Luke chapter 5 is a year and a half after Jesus said, come and see. And, uh, and it's hard to see that if you just open up and start reading, but it's important for what we're about to look at here. So this is about the midpoint of Jesus' ministry. And, and keep that in mind as we start reading Luke 5, starting in verse 1. It says, One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, also called the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding all around him and listening to the word of God. Pause right there. It says people were crowding around Jesus. There was, there was a crowd of people there, and they're coming around Jesus. Why? Well, because at this point, it had become apparent that Jesus was not just a good teacher, but he also genuinely cared for people. Jesus loved everyone. Even when he rebuked people, it was always out of love. It was always with their best in mind, always desiring the best for them. And I think Jesus' love is what made his message so unique because the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they were always teaching the people. They were always instructing the people, but did they do it in love? I don't think so. So Jesus comes on the scene and it's obvious that he has this love for everyone. And I think that's why people crowded around him. Keep that in mind. So moving on into verse two, it says, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. 
he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught, a, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and to help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. So Jesus, he finished speaking to the crowd, and now he's going to serve these fishermen. He sees that they haven't caught any fish, and he feels compassion for them. And he tells them uh, to let their nets down one more time, and, and he pr miraculously provides for these empty-handed fishermen. Jesus actually uh, does this a lot in a, a lot of different ways with a lot of different people. We see him, you know, interacting with people. He sees a need and he meets that need. He, he heals a blind man. He raises a widow's son from the dead. He, he interacts with a lot of different people. Not, not everyone got a miracle from Jesus, but many did. So he loved everyone and, and he served many people. But now watch this in verse 8. It says, When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Jesus specifically calls Peter, James, and John to follow him. Now, here's what we can see in this. If you're, if you're a Christian, I hope this will be really freeing for you. I really do. Jesus loved everyone. He served many, but he chose to invest deeply in a few. And this invitation was given only to a few. So the principle for you and me, relationship principle number two is this. Love everyone, serve many, invest in a few. That is to say, for followers of Jesus, we are supposed to love everyone that we come in contact with. When you're at, at the grocery store, love the people who are in line with you. Love the people who are in front of you in line. Love the people who are in back of you in line, who maybe only have one or two things. Let them go in front of you. When you're at work, love everyone, even the guy or girl that just popped into your mind. Love that person too. You know who I'm talking about. When you're in your yard, love your neighbors, and not just the ones you enjoy, but, but the ones who, who kind of rub you the wrong way, the ones who talk too much, the one who lets their dog run through your yard, the, the ones that it's tough to love, love those people too. Jesus loved everyone. He served many. And so as followers of Jesus, we need to serve many people too. We all have opportunity to serve people in our days. You may be too busy to see those opportunities, but they are there. Slow down. Look for those opportunities to serve. Simple things like maybe loading the dishwasher for your wife or, or helping to fold some laundry. Maybe it's being generous to someone who's in need or, or even just writing a note of encouragement to someone. We should be actively involved in serving as many people as possible. There's so much joy in that. We think that the joy comes from, from being served, but in my experience, it's the other way around. True joy comes when we pour our lives out serving other people. 
So Jesus loved everyone. He served many. And then he invested in a few. And here's where we struggle. Because we think that, that loving people means we have to invest in them. We think that we have to do all three. Love, serve, and invest with every single person that we come in contact with. Or we're not being a good Christian. That's not the case. In fact, we know that, that Jesus, uh, he had raised up about 120 disciples, at least 120 disciples in, during his time on earth. They were all in the upper room when he came back from the dead. Out of those 120, Jesus had 12 that were his inner circle. Out of that 12, he had three that he invested in even more deeply, who were the leaders of the 12. And out of the three, there was one that it says was the one who Jesus loved, John. And I think John might have been Jesus' best friend. But do you see how Jesus prioritized his relationships? He loved everyone. He served many. He invested in a few. And if we're going to walk as Jesus walked, our relationships are going to have to look like his relationships. And the hardest part, I think, for many of us in, in these disciple-making intentional relationships will be answering the question, who are the few? Who are the few people that I'm supposed to pour my life into with these deep, meaningful, intentional relationships? Who are the ones that I should make disciples of? Well, I think this Luke 5 passage also gives us some clues toward uh, what we should look for in, in people, some, some characteristics of the men that Jesus decided to invest in. Here's relationship principle number three. Look for people who are after more. Look for people who are after more, and you'll see that after is in all caps here, and that's because it's actually an acronym. Let me show you what I believe Jesus saw in Peter and James and John. At the beginning of this Luke 5 passage, Jesus tells us, or Luke tells us rather, that as Jesus was teaching, he saw the, the boats of these guys, and he got into one of them. Now, if Jesus didn't know these guys, it would have been kind of weird for him just to get in their boat, don't you think? But like I said before, uh, that wasn't the case. Peter, Peter, James, and John, they knew Jesus. It's been about a year and a half since Jesus said, come and see, and he invited them into his life. Jesus had walked with them. He'd spent time with them. And because of that, he knew that they were men who were available. That's what the A stands for if you're taking notes, available. And for you and I to really build deep, meaningful relationships, we need to find people who will also be available. And there's both a space and a time aspect to this. People who are in closer proximity to us are naturally easier to invest in. That's why we talk about our neighbors and our coworkers and other students at your school, because those are the people who we are naturally around. Now listen, there are people in my life who I love dearly, who I love talking with them, I love interacting with them, I love grabbing coffee with those people, and I maybe see them a handful of times in any given year because we just don't run in the same circles. We, we live in different towns or, 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 you know, just for whatever reason, I'm not available to them and they're not available to me. It doesn't mean I don't love them. They're just not available. And so, there may be some people like that for you too, that you say, yeah, but that's the person that I really want to spend time with or I really want to invest in. But if they're not available, that's kind of that, that space element to being available. The other, the other element is a time element. And there may be some people in your life who, who you have close proximity to, 
but they just don't seem to have time for a relationship. They're just so busy. And you may want to have a conversation about how you'd like to spend more time with them and see what that response might be. But ultimately, they have to be willing to make time for the relationship. And if, if they can't or they won't, that doesn't mean that you bend over backward to try to squeeze into their schedule. Part of being available means you make time for the relationship And Jesus invested in people who are available, and we need to be looking for those people as well. We also see from this passage that we're looking for people who are faithful. That's what the F stands for. It's people who are faithful. In fact, watch what happens next in the story. In verse 4, it says, When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night, and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Now think about this for just a minute. These men, Peter, James, and John, they're professional fishermen. They've been fishing their whole lives. They they know how to fish. And the way that they would fish is they they would fish at night when it's dark outside and in shallow water. Because at night when it's dark outside, the fish move up into the shallow water to feed. And then as the sun comes up and it gets hot, the fish move back out into deep water. And it's much easier to catch the fish at night in the shallow water. Now, they're fishermen. They know this. Jesus is a carpenter. He isn't a fisherman. But he tells them to put out their nets in deep water with the sun up. And it would be really easy for Peter to say, you know what, Jesus? When I need a bookshelf, I'll call you, okay? <laughs> but, but here's the thing. Peter doesn't say that. What does he say? He says, because you say so, I'll let down the nets. And in that response, we see that Peter was a guy who was faithful. One of the worst mistakes that we can make in a disciple-making relationship is to choose someone who's only halfway in. Be on the lookout for people who seem to be growing in their faithfulness to God. If that's not the case, you still love them, you can still serve them, but but they will likely wear you out in a disciple-making relationship. Jesus was looking for people who are available and faithful. And then in verse 8, we see the next characteristic. So these fishermen, they do what Jesus said. They, they let down those nets in the deep water with the sun up, and they catch a huge number of fish. And, and Peter immediately sees something in Jesus that he hadn't seen before. And he falls to his knees, and he says, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Peter learns something here, and he responds in humility. Peter was teachable. That's the T. He was teachable. Have you ever interacted with someone who wasn't teachable? That can be really frustrating, can't it? Whether, whether they, they thought they already knew all the answers or maybe they just refused to change some pattern in their life. Interacting with someone who isn't teachable is frustrating. Be on the lookout for people who are asking good questions. People who are, are open to honest feedback and have a teachable spirit. You know, in in Luke 5, 9, we read that Peter, James, and John, they see this catch of fish, and it says that they were astonished. They were astonished at what Jesus had done. They, They can't believe, you know, what he's done for them, the way that he served them. Imagine the scene before all of this occurred. We're we're told that they were on shore cleaning their nets. They have nothing to show for a hard night's work. You know, these fish were their livelihood, and so here they are with with nothing to sell, no money to bring home, and I would guess they were likely in a pretty bad mood. But now they have more fish than they know what to do with, and these men, they see what Jesus has done for them, and they're enthused. That's the E. 
These men were enthused. As you interact with people, I wonder, are your conversations, you know, about the weather? Are they about the Colts? Are, are they about the latest TV show or, or the latest movie that's out? I'm not saying that you can't ever talk about those things, but as followers of Jesus, there's something so much greater to talk about. And so be listening, be looking for people who are enthused about what God is doing in their life. Be on the lookout for people who can't help but talk about Jesus and his kindness and his goodness and his love. And finally, in verses 10 through 11, we we see the call that Jesus lays out. It says, Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled up their boats up on the shore and they left everything and they followed him. And the R stands for responsive. Jesus was looking for people who were responsive. And he found three men right here willing to leave everything, to walk away from even the greatest catch of fish that they had ever seen in their lives, to follow Jesus. And from this moment on, what we see in in the scriptures is 17 interactions between Jesus and the multitudes but 43 interactions with Jesus and just his few. Do you see that Jesus, after choosing the 12 men that he's going to do life with, that that he strategically and intentionally began investing time and energy and effort into these men who were responsive, and they went on to have a huge impact after he left them. And it's a great reminder that the greatest impact that you and I will make in our lives will not come from the things we accomplish or the money we make or the pleasures that we seek and gain joy from, but our greatest impact will come through the lives that we influence through relationships. If you want to leave a legacy, it won't be through a bigger house or a nicer car or a cleaner kitchen, but through the lives that you touch in relationships. And at the end of his life, right before Jesus went to the cross, he gathers together his disciples and he tells them this in John 15, 15. He says, I no longer call you servants, but instead I've called you, what? Friends. Jesus called them friends, even with the mission before him, knowing that he had to make disciples who would make disciples, who would build the church, who would eventually reach the whole world with the good news of Jesus. Jesus knew that these men weren't just his project. He didn't want them to be just his project. Jesus was looking for friends. And if you and I want to be a part of that movement today, we could do nothing better than to pour our life into a few intentional, strategic, disciple-making relationships with people who we also would call friends. You know, right before that passage, Jesus, uh, he tells them that there is no greater love than the one who would lay his life down for his friends. And Jesus didn't just speak those words, but he acted on them. And he obediently walked to the cross so that you and I also could be counted as friends of God. And this morning, we're going to spend some time reflecting on the most important relationship that you could possibly have in your life, the relationship that was made possible by the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we can be made right with God. If you're a follower of Jesus, uh, we're going to take communion this morning, and I want to invite you to take it with us, whether this is your church home or not. If, you, if you've made a commitment to Jesus Christ and to following after him, would you take communion with us this morning?
You can take the juice and the bread as it's passed and spend some time just praying and thanking God for sending his son, fully God yet fully man, who was tempted in every single way yet without sin, who showed us what it means to be fully human and who paid the price for our sins. Take those elements when they're passed and then pray and reflect and eat and drink in your own time. If you're not a follower of Jesus today, maybe you're just visiting with us and you haven't yet made Jesus the Lord of your life, I think the invitation is the same for you as it was for these few men 2,000 years ago. Come and see. I think Jesus is telling you today, come and see. Come and see if Jesus is who he says he is. Come and see that there is peace and joy and hope through him. Come and see that those things won't be found anywhere else. Come and see that you can be given new life today. Jesus said, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. Maybe today is the day for you to surrender your life to Christ. And if that's you, I'd love to talk with you more after the service today about what that looks like and what that means. But let me pray for us and then let's spend some time remembering the body and and the blood of Jesus shed so that we can be back in a right relationship with God. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your steadfast, unfailing, undeserved love. Lord God, uh, I thank you for this this, uh, time that we've had to open up the words and to look at the life of your son, Jesus. Father, to know that that in his humanity, that his time and his resources were limited. And so we can look at his priorities and we can make them our priorities and we can walk as Jesus walked. That's what we want to do, Lord. We want to walk as Jesus walked so that you will find great glory in our lives. And Father, I pray that as we think about the relationships in our lives, Lord, that we would look at them through the lens of Jesus. Father, that we would be uh, looking for people who are after more, who are after you, Uh, people that we can pour our lives into, God, to make disciples who will make disciples. And Father, I pray this morning as we take some time to to remember and to reflect, uh, God, and and to, to think about what it cost for us to be in this relationship with you. Father, that you would give your one and only son so that whoever believes on him could be given everlasting life, that there was a cost to you in that, Lord. And we tell you this morning that we recognize, Lord, that in and of ourselves, we were not worth that cost. But Father, we are so thankful that in your great love for us, you chose to send Jesus to show us how to live, to pay a sin debt that we could not repay. Father, to call us your children and to give us this great mission of making disciples. Father, find us faithful to that. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.